Welcome to the NCO Journal Podcast, where we explore NCO professional development. This is a podcast series where we discuss published articles with authors and provide a forum for the open exchange of ideas, information, and solutions. I'm your host, Chago Zapata, Managing Editor of the NCO Journal. Today, we discuss the article, Command Authority, a guide for senior enlisted leaders by Sergeant Major Andre Combe, Company Sergeant Major, Charlie Company, 3rd Battalion, 10th Special Forces Group, Airborne, at Fort Carson, Colorado. With us is Sergeant First Class Osvaldo Aquite, NCOIC of the NCO Journal, and Special Guest Command Sergeant Major Bill Woods, an instructor at Army University School for Command Preparation in Fort Leavenworth, Kansas. Thank you all for being here. You saw Major Cohen, if you could, uh, please tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. Um, been in the Army for over 20 years, originally from uh, Bay Area in California. Married three children, one in college, um, currently living in Colorado Springs. Um, currently assigned to a special forces company as their company sergeant major. I love what I do for a living. Um, couldn't see myself anywhere else. Um, just recently uh, got here from Fort Bliss after graduating the Sergeant's Major Academy. Um, um, really, I'm a lifelong learner. Um, I really enjoyed my time down in Sergeant's Major Academy because it gave me an opportunity to kind of explore further a couple of subjects that I was interested in, um, this being one of those. Um, and, you know, at this point, just trying to give back to the Army what it's given me so far. Oh, we have with us a special guest as well, um, Command Sergeant Major uh, Woods. Please tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, I don't know how special I am, but uh, Command Sergeant Major Bill Woods, uh, I'm an instructor here at the uh, School for Command Prep. I teach the Command Sergeant Major Development course, uh, the brigade level. I'm currently the substitute Army U Command Sergeant Major. And prior to this, I was the senior enlisted leader for the Colorado National Guard. I've been in just over 36 years. This could be my retirement assignment. Uh, but again, uh, just like Sir Major Colin said, you know, this is my opportunity to give back to the Army uh, everything that they've given me over the last, uh, you know, three and a half decades uh, of service using my experience. Uh, I'm also a civilian police officer. And I'm just stepped away from that gig to, to go do this for a few years. So thanks for having me. And thanks, our Major uh, Colin. As, uh, I read through this article yesterday. And you got some good stuff in here. Thank you. Well, thanks for joining us, gentlemen. Okay, let's, get, let's kick things off here. Sorry, Major Colin, what, what inspired you to write this article? Being down at the Sergeant's Major Academy, I quickly realized that there was, from my vantage point, a lack of of understanding of what special operations forces do. Um, and so while I was in the Department of Joint International Intergovernmental Multinational Operations, that was what I quickly learned was that was my opportunity to kind of educate the rest of my peers on what the soft value proposition is and what we bring to the table. And so as we were making our way through the department, um, I used the assignments that we had as an opportunity to try to not only meet the course objectives and assignment um, objectives of, as were given to me, but kind of tie in things that I thought would be of value in terms of educating uh, my peers and kind of bringing my experience to the table. 
Um, and so I tried to do that in, in all the assignments I, I wrote, um, including this, this particular paper. Why do you think it's important that uh, senior enlisted leaders know and understand their role in the different levels of command? As senior enlisted leaders, it's, it's our job to translate higher headquarters and commanders, commanders intent and guidance and be able to translate it in a manner that our um, subordinates can understand. And so a lot of times, especially with what's going on in the world today, we find ourselves answering to um, multiple headquarters simultaneously, but oftentimes subordinates may not understand, you know, their reporting chains um, and what things um, they should be reporting to uh, headquarters that they may have fallen underneath while they're forward deployed versus those things that they should be reporting back to um, in the rear with their traditional um, chain of command. So that was one of the things I, I quickly realized just from experience that not a lot of people understand. And so what I wanted to impart on others is it is our job to not only be able to translate that and, and, and provide better guidance to our subordinates, but just understand like the, the authorities and permissions that normally um, are assigned to those with combatant command authority versus OPCON and, and TACON. So it was, again, just an opportunity to educate others on really what the difference is and a way that they can kind of go to their subordinates and be able to articulate that in a much better manner. Sorry, Major Woods, I'll throw the question out to you as well. No, great question. And, you know, what we find is that, you know, some, you know, it's kind of ambiguous. When I went through the Sergeant's Major Academy, they, they would always say, Sergeant's Major do stuff. Well, what is that stuff? And, you know, it was always this ambiguous question. Well, it depends. And in the, the Brigade Command Sergeant Major's course, you know, one of the things we talk about is where does the Command Sergeant Major need to be at the battalion and brigade level during either large scale combat operations or in garrison, you know, is it, is it points of friction, you know, and, and really the answer is, is what, what bases are you, or, or what are you looking at that your commander is not? And, you know, Sergeant Major Colin, right, a, a good thing is, you know, helping others to understand commander's intent. There are some commanders out there that won't tell the boss, I don't understand what you just said. Uh, but, you know, and, and it's also establishing the relationship with the senior NCOs and especially the operations sergeant major and the command sergeant major uh, so that those commanders, you know, feel like they can come up to you in a safe space and say, I didn't quite get what, or, or you ask them to repeat what, you know, the commander's intent was in their own words, and they're just not quite getting it. Uh, and it's, and sometimes that's a conversation you have to go have with your bosses. Hey, you know, what you put out, most of the commands don't really, really didn't catch your intent from this. So it's that, you know, free flowing around the battlefield or, or the command and being able to have people talk to you and have uh, honest conversations I didn't quite get that. Can you, can you help me out, Sergeant Major? Yeah, and I thought this was, um, so Sergeant Cox and I, Sergeant Cox is another member of our team here. Um, we were talking about this yesterday, um, trying to get him to understand some of these things. He's a young staff sergeant. And then I've only learned from this, um, I was at a TSOC as a public affairs uh, chief. 
Um, and that's where I learned a, a little bit about this stuff, but I'm not an expert. And so I was trying to break it down to him. And it was, I can see that, you know, the, some of the stuff that I was telling him was going over his head. So it brought up that question of when, when do you think it's important for younger NCOs to learn about this or at least to start to have an un, some kind of understanding? And I'll start off with you, Sergeant Major Woods. Well, it, it really kind of depends on, on where they're assigned. Uh, you know, are, are they assigned into a, a, a staff section, you know, a, a three or a two or a, a, a one? Or are they out there leading a team? You know, out the, you know, and, and I'm talking conventional forces at, at this point. Um, but, you know, if you're an infantry or an MP sergeant out there leading a fire team, you know, it, it's it's nice to have a, a base knowledge, but you really don't need to get into the nuts and bolts of it. But again, when, you know, that Sergeant Major comes around, we don't want the perception to be, oh, this is an old grumpy guy that's going to yell at me because I violated some obscure uniform rule that, that I'm there to help them succeed and to help their unit succeed. So when we're out there asking those questions. So I, I don't think it's ever too early but there's definitely a time in your career where it's way too late. And, you know, once you, you know, maybe get to the, you know, senior NCO level, that's where you really need to start picking up some of your joint PME to understand that. Yeah. Sorry, Major Cole. I agree that it's, it's, it depends on the assignment. Um, but I'd say in, in the operating environment that we find ourselves in, very rarely do we find ourselves operating alone. Whether we're talking about in a combined nature with our allies and partners or working with um, intergovernmental or other intergovernmental organizations or other services, it's it's the, the environment's rapidly evolving. Um, we see it in technology, but we also see it in the way that we just conduct business. And so the sooner that we're able to expose our soldiers to these concepts, I think the better um the better it enables commanders to kind of get after get after the things that they they want their subordinates to be able to do i mean we we can't always you know go back to the commander every you know every five minutes um with you know with questions we have to be able to operate again with that in the commander's intent but a but a great understanding of command authorities you know how command should work um if we focus a little bit more on that at the junior levels. I think we we find ourselves in a better situation to be successful, especially as we talk about what the future operating environment may may look like. You know, in your article, you mentioned an instance when planners and subordinate commanders were kind of unsure of who handled certain sourcing, resourcing requests, and things like that. And can you talk a little bit more about that example, and then? what that might have looked like for the soldiers on the ground and how could they have maybe identified that there was some issues with it? So something that we, we like to deal with that we don't necessarily like to deal with, we just deal with a lot is equipment. And because we're always um, have for have soldiers and organizations forward postured, there's equipment that typically will stay forward versus what stays in the rear. And it's important to understand, hey, where did that equipment originate from? Was that based on an operational requirement? Well, when you have issues with said equipment, then it may not be you going back through your traditional chain of command to get 
issues resolved through that, through that equipment, it may be that you fall kind of within that operational control side of the house where, hey, you may have to go back to the combatant commander that your organization is is underneath versus if we're talking, you know, traditional MTOAD equipment, equipment that's assigned to your organization, you're in issues, then you know that um, for resolution, you're going to go back through your chain of command. And that's just one example. Another example is just funding while you're deployed, um, depending on what sorts of issues that you run into will determine, hey, who do I have to ask for funding? And it may be something as simple as ammunition so you can work with your allies during a partner exchange. Um, I think a lot of times we leave it to our commission officer counterparts to understand that. But as senior NCOs, if we're going to advise the commander and, as, and be able to identify friction points before they actually become issues, then these are the sorts of things that we need to understand and, you know, not, you know, waiting to understand it until we're maybe at the master leaders course or sergeant's major academy, I think is the, is the wrong answer. Sorry, Major, anything? Uh, no, and, and great points. And really what it is, is, you know, those, those established relationships that, you know, senior non-commissioned officers have, and, and I'm not saying by, by any means, you know, you're subverting the system, but there's just sometimes that, that you, you know, based off of uh, your experience, you know what's going to break. You know what, what the push needs to be for logistics, you know, or, or ammo. And, and then also helping your, the staff and the commander understand priorities, you know, something that's nice to have versus no kidding, we got to have this and, and having them understand that or having the, the staff and your commander understanding, well, if we make this decision to acquire this and it goes back to budget as well, and we may not be able to get this other piece that we're going to need to execute the next phase of a mission. So helping the commanders and staff prioritize those things as well. Yeah, that, that brings up a good um, example. I, I'd like to hear from each of you if there's an example of, of where that freedom of movement helped you overcome uh, friction points. Wow, there's a lot of examples out <laughs> there. Um, but, you know, a, an example is uh, when I was deployed to Afghanistan as a battalion uh, CSM, uh, we were out in a remote area, had, you know, no fitness equipment, you know, basically sandbags and rocks uh, out there, which, you know, the soldiers made work. But uh, one day the, uh, the, the three-star admiral came out and he's like, Sir Major, what do you need out here? And I said, I need a gym, sir. And, and he, you know, did not... Well, my unit didn't go through the logistics process. He put his people on it, and within about a month, we had a building and a gym. Uh, that that way, the, the 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 soldiers, the sailors, the Marines, the airmen that were out there with us had a a true fitness facility, not just you know throwing rocks around. I remember going through those gyms and really appreciating having to be able to have those. Uh, on deployments. So Major Cole, I'll throw that to you. Do you have an example of a time? I've, I've, I've been lucky to have a lot of examples on, <laughs> on this um, scenario as well. Um, one of the ones that comes to mind for me is, 
you know, we, we often oftentimes in my organization train with our Eastern European partners. And with one of those partners, you know, as we were kind of standing up a, a training course, we came to realize really quick, like, you know, they didn't have the facilities, um, they didn't have the POI, they didn't have the the equipment necessary to run the course that they were trying to do. And so the first thing, you know, for us was to identify, okay, what it what it is that we're seeking to accomplish here, and then what are what are those those obstacles that are in, in our way. And some of those things, of course, were within our control, like to helping them develop POI for getting after the training objectives they want. But when we, then when we got into the the issue of adequate ranges and uh, facilities and ammunition and things like that, that's where we had to know, hey, who do we have to go back to to help our partners um, develop, you know, this capability. And so um, I was lucky to have spent some time, you know, working with um, country teams. So we knew, hey, our first touch point has got to be that senior military official, um, because we know that that individual is kind of the first touch point where we're talking about security assistance funds. And knowing what I knew already at that time, you know that those sorts of things don't go through your traditional chain of command. You know that you're going to have to go through the embassy and then eventually make it up to the combatant commander um, to have, you know, resources aligned against that, you know, against that particular problem set. So because at our level and, I, you know, as a master sergeant back then with my my counterpart, my detachment commander, who was a, a captain, because we knew those things, we were able to identify this particular problem, but already address, hey, here's the way that we can get after it. And here, here, here's where the funding should come from. So it kind of reduced a lot of the legwork for um, our higher headquarters and helped get that um, problem resolved, you know, fairly quickly while we were still there. So uh, on behalf of the uh, the younger NCOs and those uh, civilians like myself who, who, who may need a little more something, uh, what exactly is your major, what, what advice would you have for the young guys or the young NCOs or those who haven't quite reached that level of, uh, of leadership? I'd say of the the three main ideas that I covered in the article between um, command, unity of command, and unity of effort, I'd say for the younger individuals, unity of effort stands out the most because I think that's a concept that is easily grasped at 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 any level. With the idea being that if we have unity of effort, like individuals are cooperating with one another towards a common goal, the commander's end state will be met. And I think that it's important that young soldiers ask, be comfortable and the command makes an environment that's comfortable for soldiers to be able to ask questions to ensure that, hey, when we start working with others outside of our own organization, which they will be asked to do at a fairly young age, that they understand it's, you know, this is a people business. It's, it's through cooperation with others that we're able to accomplish our operational and strategic goals. And so that would be the biggest thing I'd kind of, I, I would highlight to our, our, our younger men and women in, in the armed forces. Uh, yeah, that's a, a great point. And actually in one of my classes uh, a couple of cycles ago, I think it was somebody from uh, 10th Special Forces Group. Um, you know, he said, everybody's got to understand whether they are uh, supporting or the supported unit. 
And it goes back to unity of, of effort. You know, those, those supporting units need to know what their tasks are to support the unit that's the main effort. And so many times I've seen, you know, almost fistfights, you know, on, no, I'm the, I'm the supported unit. No, you're the supported unit. And, and there's no unity of effort. So if you, if you give them those more details of the plan, at the, you know, at the different stages uh, of a mission or an operation or an even a campaign, you know, people understanding where they fit in this big uh, puzzle and the importance that they play, but understand that, hey, you're supporting this unit through whatever it may be. You know, you don't get to, to be the, the, the main stage on this one. And, and that's, you know, I, once people understand that and, and, the mission, and the part they play in that, it absolutely, that unity of effort uh, really comes into focus. And if I may add on that piece, you know, in my experience, you don't see the issues with this until there's a, a crisis. Um, and if the, the commander hasn't properly articulated that supporting and supported relationship, when we get into crisis, that's where you start to see the, the, the fist fight over resources and who has priority for movement and those sorts of things. But if we're practicing it in garrison, and in tr- in our you know normal training events that our units go through, then when we, by the time we get to crisis, this should be something you know where it's more hey we're just getting to understand others' capabilities and limitations versus you know having you know some sort of a, a an argument about hey who has priority at it, any given point. Yeah, and if we're talking about this as a crisis, there's definitely indicators that'll point to this leading up to a crisis. And that's, that brings up another question that I had was if as a young NCO or, or, or you know, a senior NCO down on the ground, um, what, what, what should they be looking for or how do they, um, what would they see um, as an indicator when there's confusion about uh, command authority and things like that? And what should they do when they identify that? For me, the, the, the first thing that sticks out is when others don't understand each other's roles, responsibilities, and what they're objectives are for that particular problem set when that isn't clear then that's when we we tend to find there's going to be issues as far as unity of effort is concerned sorry major and what would you recommend for that those young ncos to do when they when they identify that or they see that well, they need to speak up, and, and somebody needs to ask the question, you know, and even if it's the, the corporal, you know, or the specialist team leader, you know, say, are, you know, what is our role? What's our priority in this? You know, are, are we the supported or the supporting? And sometimes it's the they are not in, involved, you know, they don't get a good briefing, you know, mission brief. Um, but like I said, that's something that you have to exercise. That stuff just doesn't magically happen when bullets start flying. Uh, that's why it has to be rehearsed. Uh, just like Sergeant Major Collins said, in, in garrison, you know, before the mission, you know, they do a lot of all this, this elaborate planning with airflow and everything else. But when it comes down to it, if, if the, the key players aren't involved in that and those key players can be those team leaders, those E4, E5 team leaders that are out there 
you know, leading people into the fight. Yeah, with uh, with a lot of the uh, well, hurricane season is probably ending now, but um, um, you know, we saw the devastation that happened in Florida recently. Um, a lot of National Guard units are getting pulled into that, and that that's primarily, uh, you know, maybe maybe you can speak on it a little on uh, on it a little bit more, but it's not usually a DOD um, as the primary, and so that's where that understanding would also help out, right? Well, in, from the National Guard perspective, that we are never the main effort in a natural disaster. We are always in a supporting role. You know, we're either requested by a, a sheriff or a governor uh, to, to come in to assist with a, a disaster or, or some kind of a crisis. But we are never in lead. We are always in support. Um, and to some degree, that helps us doing our warfight missions as well, is that we ask those questions up front you know, are we in, because we do typically are in support roles, you know, what exactly are we supposed to be doing here? But it also goes back to when that governor or, or whoever it is that requests forces for their crisis, we have to have them walk through the process so that they're not in violation of any uh, fiscal laws. You know, why is it that you need us? How many people, how long, and what equipment needs to come with them? Yep. And, and to add on to that, you know, the example given was something that we, you know, that we see here, CONUS, or, you know, within our territories, but this applies even, even overseas. A lot of the times, or I'd say most of the time, you know, again, we are not the lead. Usually it's going to be, you know, Department of State is lead and they've requested DOD's presence. Um, and so it's, it's, that's where it becomes very important, you know, when we're talking about unit of effort, you know, the, the literal definition is coordination through cooperation and common interest. That coordination and common interest, we're, we're coming in to assist other people in both um, examples. So it's in paramount that we understand what are their goals, what are the goals that we've been given, and how do we both work together to ensure that, you know, we get to the to the desired end state, which is normally at that, you know, uh, strategic strategic level. With that, I'd, I'd like to ask and, uh, if you had one piece of advice to give to the junior non-commissioned officers and maybe a, one piece of advice to give to the senior non-commissioned officers uh, listening, uh, what would that be? And I'll start off with, uh, with you, Sergeant Major Woods. Oh, of course. Um, <laughs> one, one piece of advice for junior and senior NCOs Wow, there's, you know, I have all kinds of elevator speeches, but, you know, it, it's that, you know, don't ever stand still. You know, don't uh, think once you've known every, you know, you've, you've been to a certain level, you know, even at the, the certain major level, we don't know everything. Uh, but also understand that you're not alone. And so always ex continue to grow and expand um, and even, you know, at the sergeant major level, we're always trying to define our success. Well, what, once you get to even, you know, an NCO, you are successful to a degree. Um, I think the question that you ask yourself is, are you significant? And you may not change the entire army, 
but you know, through your leadership, your guidance, uh, sometimes uh, you can impact uh, the outcome of things through your presence. And when I say presence, it's that uh, culture and climate that you've helped establish. And so your influence and your presence is felt throughout a unit. So the significant part of that is, is that, you know, there's somebody out there and you may never know who it is uh, for many, many years. Uh, you were significant to them. Um, and the example that I will give is I had a second lieutenant platoon leader when I was a, a platoon sergeant. And uh, it seemed like on this one drill weekend, he could not do anything right. And he came close to resigning his commission and leaving the Army. So I knew he was having a tough time, so we went for a little walk and kind of talked through some of his issues. And uh, about a year ago, he pinned on 06. And in his speech, uh, he, you know, and, and I don't remember what we talked about. Uh, I just remember going for that walk. And he said, I never got a chance to thank you for that because I would have been done that day had you not taken the time. So to to that 106, I was significant and impactful. And who knows who it is. So you just continue going down the road doing the great things that you do. And, and don't worry about those measures of success Worry about your significance. Wow. Sorry, Major Colin, to you. Same question. What, what advice would you give to a young uh, NCO, and, and what advice would you give to a senior NCO with, um, with regard to command authority? Okay. The first one I'd say is regarding command authority is you, you, you've got to understand it. So for those junior NCOs, I'd say don't get comfortable don't be afraid of doctrine. No one wants to, you know, necessarily go in on, on a Friday night and go start, you know, pulling up a, a JP or a, an FM and start reading it. But there's other resources available in this day and age in terms of helping junior NCOs really under, understand doctrine and understand uh, command authorities and unity of command and, and all these terms that we've been, we've been talking about today. And so if the NCOs, adopt that soon, you know, in their, in, sooner in their careers, they'll find that they'll be value added in the long term. And as CSM just brought up in his example, being value added, that can, that can last a pretty long time and have some significant second and third order effects um, throughout your formation. Because of course, no one, no one stays still, we move around and we interact with a lot of different people. And so I'd say, don't get comfortable, be value added, and just understand that, you know, it's okay. You'll make, you know, you'll make mistakes, but as long as our senior leaders don't, um, you know, have a, a zero defect kind of mentality, zero defect environment, I think that um, that will, that is the key to allowing our um, junior subordinates to be able to exercise, you know, mission commander that at their level and, and really be successful. Remember to put your knowledge to the page, submit articles, and get published with the NCO Journal. Don't forget to check out our webpage and follow us on social media.
Catch you next time on the NCO Journal Podcast.